All right, can you believe August is pretty much done, pretty much over? Of course, we're closing in then on back to school. A lot of college, university students moving back into the city this week. But what about high school and elementary school? They are going back to the uh, classroom for the most part, although there will be some online learning going on as well. And that uh, has uh, raised some uh, concerns amongst parents and amongst educators about a hybrid learning system. Well, it does offer some flexibility. Are there some challenges involved when it comes to hybrid learning, the hybrid model? Let's ask Annie Kidder, head of People for Education. She joins us once again here on Global News Radio. Annie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. All right. uh, Take us through uh, hybrid learning here. And uh, first of all, I guess, uh, what are the pros? What are the pluses, Annie? Well, I think uh, from a kind of operational standpoint and financial standpoint, uh, it looks great. Uh, It's a way to offer flexibility. It's a way to deal with the fact that some kids are, we have been, families have been given the choice in Ontario uh, to continue learning online. Um, And it even, that times last year, allowed uh, families, parents to change their minds. So it's like, Sometimes I feel like it's okay for my kid to go to school. Other times I don't. Um, And it also meant that you didn't have to uh, pay more money to a teacher to teach online classes separately from an in-person class. You can imagine it's a way you have one teacher, she, she or he, they are teaching, you know, say 25 kids right in front of them in person in the class, and there's 10 other kids who are learning online. You have them connected by Zoom, Skype, whatever, and you can teach them at the same time. So from the outside, it looks like, oh, this is a great idea, and it's cheaper. Um, and it's a way of keeping things kind of organized in terms of flexibility. I think... Okay, I know, feel like the butt yeah, is coming here. Big butt. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and it's really interesting. Sometimes I've had conversations with people in school boards and you can hear the operations person going, this is great. It works this way. We can finance it this way. And then the director of education will go, it is really great, except not from an educational point of view. So the but is is pretty huge, um, which is you can imagine that if you are a teacher um, trying to teach kids who are right in front of you and teacher and kids that are on a screen at the same time is problematic. And if you're a student and you are one of those students who's learning from home, um, you're not going to have the same experience as you would, um, you know, online learning has its own problems. But if, if I were a student in an online class with a dedicated teacher teaching all the students in that online class, they're teaching in a very specific way to engage those students who are there uh, working online. But if you're a student and your teacher is maybe more likely to pay attention to whatever's happening right in front of them in the class, A, it's hard to you know feel that you feel engaged in the same way, but B, in terms of the overall educational experience, they're very different teaching methods. And they're, it's very different in terms of, you know, for the teacher and the students, understanding, you know, are you getting all this material? How are you doing? Which parts are problematic? It, it's, you know, so again, makes sense financially. But when you look at it from, from a kind of human perspective, you can imagine how hard it would be. Sure. And this obviously was all put to the test uh, last year during the uh, pandemic and online remote learning became so crucial and critical. And now we look at hybrid hybrid learning uh, moving uh, forward uh, this year in some cases. And everything you just said, does that mean that we should uh, 
I don't know, do away with hybrid uh, learning? Does it just not work? Or is this a case that we just need to find a, a better way and we need to modify, do you think? Well, I, I think, and I, I am not totally an expert on this, the, the evidence was this was a model that was developed for universities. It wasn't developed for, you know, an eight-year-old. Uh, it was developed for people in grad school for, for situations like that. And I think that what we have to think about in Ontario is that we decided, we, the, you know, the large we, um, that everybody was going to have a choice. They could either do online, online learning or in-person learning. And that's why, you know, so hybrid has kind of uh, come out of a necessity for it. But if you look at other provinces, that's not true in other provinces. In other provinces, they've, they've said, if you have some kind of real serious medical reason, you can learn online. But if you don't, we're going to make school safe. That goes to a whole different conversation. And you have to learn in person. That's what how public education works. So I think in Ontario, what we've done is we've said everybody has the option from kindergarten up to learn online, but not necessarily fully funded it um, so that boards are having to move to this hybrid model. So I think there's a the big question here is, does there have to be uh, you know, online learning from everybody from kindergarten to grade 12? Or is it something important to be able to use in an emergency? Um, because it, it is, I think it is problematic. And I think, you know, I worry that we're continuing it for a whole nother year. Uh, after many, many educators have said they're really, they, they really don't think this is working. Joined by Annie Kidder from People for Education. You talk about making sure and uh, making schools uh, safe going into the new school year. Annie, as you well know, there's a lot of concern amongst both parents and educators going into next week and back into the classroom. Uh, What have you heard from uh, both parents and educators, and what is your uh, message to them as we embark on a new school year? I I think my message is... (laughs) Advocate for change. I think that we need to add COVID to the list of diseases uh, for which vaccination is mandatory. That would really help. If parents knew that every single kid and every single staff member in a school was vaccinated, it would really, really help everybody feel more comfortable. The other thing that parents could be asking for is we need a health and education task force because we need to make sure that everybody's thought through all of the policies. I'm not an epidemiologist or a you know health specialist. I think that for the most part, schools are safe. They've done a lot of work on ventilation and that part of it. But it is understandable that families are nervous, especially families of kids who can't be vaccinated. But the the biggest thing that needs to be done right now is we have to make it mandatory for everybody 12 and over to be vaccinated in order to go to school. You have to be vaccinated for measles. I don't know why we haven't, uh, you know, added COVID to that list. And that would that would really, really, really help. So those clinical trials, when it comes to a vaccine for those 12 and under for children, uh, they can't be completed uh, soon enough and uh, vaccines for kids uh, made safe quick enough for uh, educators? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, they, they can't be, you know, that they are, they are being worked on, but they're, they're not going to be, you know, ready and trying probably in, not until the new year. But in the meantime, all staff and, and all students who can be should be vaccinated. And mm. could, we could make that mandatory. 
Yeah, you mentioned a ven- ventilation a second ago, Annie, and I know that's a, a big concern, and we've heard kind of a, a lot of talk uh, from the uh, government and others about uh, improving the ventilation in schools. Do we know just uh, what has been done, what sort of work and the amount of work? Uh, do you have any idea? Can you shed any light on that? Because I think a lot of parents are still uh, wondering, okay, is my uh, child's uh, school, is it safe? Is it uh, up to code? Has it been imp- improved when it comes to ventilation? I probably don't know as much as I should. As far as I know, in Ontario, a lot of money was spent and a lot of, you know, commitment was made that all classrooms, you know, every room that had students in it, I was going to have a HEPA filter if it didn't have an overall ventilation system. And I, I, you know, but I think hopefully this is something that boards are reporting on. I know some of them have reported that they haven't had time to get them all, uh, you know, up and running the ventilation systems. Uh, but hopefully, you know, this is another thing that that parents can ask principals in their schools. But I think I think a lot of work has been done on ventilation. Uh, we need even the work that we need now is on the vaccinations. All right. Annie, appreciate the time as always. Thanks okay. so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks a lot. OK, bye bye. There's Annie Kidder with People for Education. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. (laughs) And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.